All right, BizzleCast listeners, uh, this is the Bizzle here with my buddy Matt, co-contributor, um, and oft appeared upon the BizzleCast. Matt, great to have you back. Wonderful to be back, and so excited to talk about a movie that I think a lot of people never really imagined would ever get made, let alone would set all kinds of records and be pretty damn awesome. Absolutely. And uh, I'm assuming based on the numbers out there and my particular demographic, Matt and I talked about this off mic. I think all, you know all of y'all have seen Deadpool at this point. Like, If you're listening to this podcast and you're interested enough in Deadpool, you've had two weeks to do it. So it's great to have you here. We're going to talk about some of our favorite moments of the movie, but a lot of big picture stuff as well as concerns finances and ticket sales and the future of comic book movies and so forth. Plus, talk a little bit about the origin of Deadpool, as well as Mr. Ryan Reynolds himself, who's still a bit of an enigma. Uh, we'll get to that. So, uh, Matt, before we jump into money and numbers and history, uh, what were your sort of general uh, thoughts and feelings now that you've seen it twice? twice? I've seen it twice. Uh, as of this recording, I had seen it just about four hours prior, uh, and I loved it. I-, I thought it was really, really, really funny. I thought it poked holes in a, in a genre that needed some holes poked into it. I think it, I mean, I, to reiterate, it's really, really fucking funny and you don't need to know a lot about the X-Men to, to get it, even though it does take place in, in the X-Men movie world. Um, and it's finally a movie that proves Ryan Reynolds can be an action star, which I feel like movie makers had tried to convince the world several times, failed every time. And mm. finally, they write a role for him that he just, he perfectly embodies. You hear him talk in this movie, and you don't know if people are writing lines for him or if he's yeah. improvising, because it is just such a mm-hmm. seamless blending of actor, persona, and script. Yeah, I mean, we, we're going to make the uh, Hugh Jackman-Wolverine comparisons at some point, I'm sure, in terms of an actor and <laughs> character now becoming completely disentangleable from one another right. going forward. And what was great about this is we saw this coming for like a decade, uh, and it, it still is, it, uh, exceeds expectations, whereas, I, I can't speak for you, but in 2000, sitting in the theater, first X-Men movie, first of all, I'm losing my shit. Um, I, I do want to bring the X-Men in early here, um, and then we can talk some more about specific reactions, because this is very dear to my heart. Not Deadpool, but the X-Men universe, and this is going to mean so many great things for the X-Men universe that I didn't think was possible. They're, you know, Marvel Studios always seems to have two legs up on them. They finally got one here, maybe. But anyways, so you remember the first X-Men movie, I assume, pretty oh, well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what's the very first scene? It's freaking young Eric Lencher with a yellow star in Auschwitz right. seeing his parents getting killed. I'm sitting there in Jewish summer camp, man. I shit you <laughs> not. I was in Jewish summer camp. They took It's teenagers. They took all all of us. I just graduated high school. I was like a sort of a counselor slash camper at that point. Right. And we're sitting there and we're like, holy shit, this is an actual X-Men movie about, you know, the Holocaust and Jews and like all the things that it was supposed to be about. And then, you know, you see Famke Jensen in the United Nations. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're seeing Wolverine. And what's great is that first shot of Hugh Jackman, it just shoots his back for like 10 seconds mm-hmm. while he's turned away. And you just know it before you see his face or his claws. We all knew Ryan Reynolds long before this. His performance was amazing in this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, just to, just to throw back um, your direction, um, did, you, uh, did you see anything new on your second viewing? I have yet to do on myself. Uh, a lot of it was simply to hear what all of the jokes were because there were definitely instances yeah. the first time around where I, 
or my family. I mean, my parents who are in their 60s loved this movie or the crowd. Somebody or many people were laughing so loudly that jokes would get laughed over because Mm -hmm. this movie doesn't stop making jokes for the entire film. It's just one liner after one liner after one liner, liner. It just overpowers you like a tidal wave. And so I just wanted to hear all of the jokes and I, this time I saw it not in Boston, but on the Cape where there's less people. I saw it in the middle of the day. So I was able to hear every joke. Uh, that was one of the major reasons I wanted to see it a second time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the last movie I went to uh, where I had that experience where, I, you know, you miss half the jokes of the movie. This is going way back. Maybe more than ten years at this point. I can't believe it was Wedding Crashers. Mm-hmm. When I saw Wedding Crashers in the theater, and it wasn't even the first weekend. That's one of the highest grossing comedies ever. Right. Still, um, it we're you know I'd love to talk about whether one of the reasons this is so successful was that it works as a comedy, even if you give two shits about X Men, Deadpool, or comic book. Uh, heroes mm-hmm. you know we're always talking about transcending the genre but this really just says eh, take it or leave it we're gonna make you laugh anyways and you know that, that was one of the great parts of wedding crashers was you could watch it three four five times once it came out on dvd and you were still hearing new jokes because you're always laughing over everything that was definitely the case here like i said as i think i might have mentioned um off uh mic uh i went to it was probably the very first screening uh in north america 7 p.m of last thursday uh, you know before opening weekend or whatever it's just because that's when myself and my dad and gabriel uh who matt knows from the podcast and hopefully a lot of you Bizzlecasters uh remember gabriel i had him on recently to talk about uh, race issues in hollywood and he's been on star wars and different stuff anyways three of us went the opening opening night and it was packed and it was all adults and it was great you don't have to worry about kids interrupting or not getting the jokes or like why is a you know nine year old here kind of thing yeah, you really. know like it was just grown ups it was a Thursday night at University of Pennsylvania West Philly Theater very classy theater great sound great visuals and it, <laughs> this is one of those movies I don't know if you agree with this it was exactly what I expected but it was still better than I thought does that make sense sure I, I mean I, I disagree for me it was way better than I thought it could be I was really really unsold on. Ryan Reynolds as a action star, even with the good reviews coming out, I kept thinking there are lots of critics I like who are even friends with who like stuff Mm -hmm. that I don't. I might not like this movie. I've certainly never liked any other action movie he's been in. And then I was blown away. I, I, you know, once all the critics all agreed that it was great and it started, you know, grossing so well, I thought, all right, this is probably very, very good. Um, but I certainly went in with the trepidation that I could wind up really disliking it. Yeah, I, I had a memory of you being a little bit more bullish on this, but th- that makes sense. Um, here's what happened for me. was like, you know, I- I've never really liked Ryan Reynolds. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't like any of the roles I see him in usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, he's, he's actually better in smaller movies like Adventureland with uh, your boy Jesse Eisenberg. He's not um, my boy. I know, I'm just messing with you. Uh, but Eisenberg is great in that movie, as is Ron Reynolds and Kristen Stewart in their little love triangle. Mm-hmm. So he has some chops. He completely massacred a movie with Denzel set in South Africa that was already a very mediocre written thriller, but he really brought Denzel down, which is very hard to do, even in a not great movie. Right. I know which one you're talking about, but I can't remember what it's called. I mean, if you just compare him with like Ethan Hawke, you know, they sort of have... 
similar profiles right. as like you know a class you know hot dudes in in Hollywood. Uh, but their output has been so different. I know Reynolds is a little younger than Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I think Channing Tatum might be the fairest comparison of actors. Uh, and I think Channing Tatum has had, he's a better actor. He's had more success so far. This is going to, you know, maybe catapult Ryan Reynolds. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because one of the things that I think is going to come out of this, and I'm literally getting giddy in my chair just thinking about this possibility, mm-hmm. is making Gambit a rated R movie. I think they're really thinking about Gambit as rated R right now, man. Um, that would be such a realization of my, my childhood dreams, way more than a PG-13 Disney-type character for Gambit. Ugh. Sure. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Gambit has to be... No, it doesn't. This movie, I mean, with all the cursing, it was going to be R no matter what. Deadpool as a character makes the most sense to be an R-rated movie. Um, and I certainly don't want to see a trend of movies that would be PG-13 except for language just have a lot of swearing thrown in, and that's what makes them R. Yeah, but I don't want Gambit to be R for the swearing. I want it to be for very realistic and tons of realistic violence because, you know, Gambit starts as part of, like, an assassin's guild and what's basically the Yakuza of New Orleans, you know? It's like this underground gang warfare going on. He's way more... Uh, towards Deadpool and Wolverine in that sense of having killed people. Um, you know, eventually they just make him a sort of slightly amoral good guy with the X-Men, but he, he comes from an assassin's background. So, and th- We'll get to w- the fact that it looks like Wolverine 3 is going to be rated R finally. Hugh Jackman's been lobbying right. forever. And that makes more sense because his character is so vicious. I mean, he's, you know, he's a metaphor for repressed teenage sexual energy or whatever, but he explodes, he tears people apart, he snarls, he's got claws... He should be a violent, visceral character in a violent, visceral movie. Gambit turns playing cards into explosives. I, I don't think Gambit needs to be rated R. I think a third X-Men movie, a third Wolverine movie makes more sense for that. I mean, that that is Gambit's sort of TV persona with the X-Men, and certainly in the comics, but he's also a vicious hand-to-hand fighter. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll like Wolverine, he'll sometimes choose the harder route to challenge someone hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like Cat putting the shield away. You know, he, he has his own form of machismo that's so different than Wolverine, which was great, because when I was reading in the early 90s, they hated each other. Gamb- you know, Gambit was with Rogue, Logan was, was furious about it, just being protective over Rogue, and just the two hated each other. So you add in Deadpool, who, by the way, has been in a ton of X-Force comics with Wolverine in the last 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. I've just started to catch up on some of the good X-Men over the last 10 to 15 years. And there's a lot of X-Force at the top of the list of the best stuff because it's dark and it's bloody. They kill. They're the X-Men that kill. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not <laughs> what we want Clark Kent and Superman to be. And we're, you know, and they're not what Professor X wants them to be. That's the point. They kind of go renegade constantly. You got, And listen to these names, you know. It's like Deadpool. Hmm. Wolverine. Okay. Cable. Well, we know we're getting Cable, at least in the next Deadpool yeah. movie. It seems like X-Force is a fait accompli. The toughest thing for me... Um, is you know how you're going to transition from Hugh Jackman to a, a prominent Wolverine to be in the X Force going into the future because that's the rated R franchise that I think you know is just staring Marvel in the face and they know it and they're just not revealing any cards quite yet till they have more. Um, I don't know, am I way way off my rocker here? Getting too far ahead of myself? I, I don't know. I mean, an X Force movie is fairly far off. You know, we need to see how. For one, we need to see what Hugh Jackman actually wants to do after the third Wolverine movie. If he really walks away, that's going to change up. It might change up their entire approach to this 
the X-Men universe in movies because he has maybe until this movie been the main selling point for the, this franchise to either its success or its detriment. They've been Wolverine's movies except for, you know, first class basically. Okay. I'm really glad you said that. Um, so Bizzlecast listeners, as, as I introed in the beginning, um, and, uh, you know, just give you a disclaimer, we're going to be talking a lot of, of nuts and bolts with this movie, because we think that you've seen it at least once, hopefully, and have loved it like us, and we'll drop little Deadpool jokes throughout if we can without ruining the material. But, uh, you know, this is an important movie for Fox and, and for the Marvel properties in general, and so I think this would be a good bridge to talk about what this means sort of generally for comic book movies and what it means for the X universe or whatever you want to call it. Um, all right, you ready, you ready to play some numbers game? I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this as interesting as quick as possible. Go for it. I, I, I said these to Matt, but I studied the box office numbers for, for uh, movies very, very closely, whether it's successful or not, whether it's high budget or not. Uh, you can learn so much from it that has nothing to do with the dollar value or the quality of the movie. It's like advanced stats in baseball. Some of them are predictive and some of them are just cool. Um, and so I've compiled a list of basically the top 25 or 30 grossing um, m- movies uh, domestically in the extended Marvel Universe. So when I say Marvel Universe, I'm saying Fox, I'm saying Sony, um, I'm saying Disney. Am I missing anyone? No, those are the big three. You'd think Fox would want to like quietly push Fantastic Four out of fourth company, right? Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll give we'll give you Fantastic Four at a discount. No, no, even remember that it was a Fox property, and now they're doing Deadpool. Can you, what a jump! But anyways, so you're looking at the lists, and you know what's today's date? February twenty third, twenty sixteen. Deadpool is the twelfth highest grossing, um, at least as of this afternoon, twelfth highest grossing uh, uh, Marvel related movie property, um, regardless of studio ever. Um, but it's already, in like 10 days, became the number one domestic grossing X-Men movie ever. And I believe it's the eighth, it's the eighth or ninth X-Men movie, or at least in the Fox X-Men universe. Now it's number one, beating even Future Past, although it has a long way to go um, to get to uh, Future Past's foreign totals. And we can talk about that as well. Um, so Deadpool's number 12. So, all right, so here here are the movies since, oh, I don't know, 2002, um, above Deadpool. Uh, so at one, you got Avengers, two, Ultron, three, Iron Man, three, four, Spider-Man, one, five, Spider-Man, two, six, Spider-Man, three, seven, Guardians of the Galaxy, eight, Iron Man, nine, Iron Man, two, ten, Amazing Spider-Man, one, eleven, Cap, two, and twelve, Deadpool. And what's even more fascinating is number 13, 14, and uh, 15, or 16, is X-Men 3, X-Men, and X2. Somehow X2 made less money. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that. Is X-Men Days of Future Past at 14, and at 16, X2. Um, and X-Men have four movies that aren't even in the top 20. You've got you know, um, X-Men First Class, original X-Men Wolverine, X-Men Origins Wolverine. None of them are even in the top 20. Uh, of just Marvel movies. And so Deadpool be at 12. I mean, what does this mean? Is this just an aberration, man? Like February, people are desperate for a guilty pleasure movie. It's just right time, right place. I think there is absolutely that element to it. I also really don't know how much higher uh, Deadpool's is going to climb on the box office. We also have some big movies coming out that are probably going to knock it down a peg or two. I'm pretty sure uh, yep. Civil War is going to out produce it at the box office i would be surprised if apocalypse didn't you know outgross it i'm pretty sure that 
all of the Marvel Studios movies coming out. Maybe not Doctor Strange, but I think Black Panther is going to, to beat it pretty handily. I'm certain Infinity War 1 and 2 will. So it's 12 now. I think it's going to drop more, and I don't think its gross is going to skyrocket. You know, if you look at 10 and 11, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and Winter Soldier, they're grossing in the $700 million range uh, for combined worldwide. That's $200 million more than what Deadpool's at. Deadpool could get a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to get a ton more. But then this is what's so interesting, you know? So you've a rated R movie, which you think restricts the audience, although there's some theories about how this actually builds audience in terms of kids needing their parents to go to the movie. So, you know, you, get, <laughs> you have to drag the parents along. Sell two tickets instead of one each time. Yeah, or maybe it's like two dads with six boys, you know? I mean, right. who knows? Although, really, I got to say, if you're a parent, you got a kid that's younger than 15 or 14, you should not be taking your kid to see this movie. This is not an appropriate movie for children. Even if they all know all the swear words already, this is an adult film. Don't take your kids to see this. Yeah, and this is this is totally. I mean, I'm constantly, as you know, complaining about the PG-13 elasticity. Right. But You've got Man of Steel, right, which we watched together. Uh, this is coming out almost immediately after recording. Um, so, Bizzlecast listeners, I'm, I'm starting to do some DC-related stuff leading up to Batman v Superman, end of March. That's about four weeks away at this point. Um, but Matt and I did a Man of Steel commentary that'll come out a week or two uh, before Batman v Superman. Matt, not a huge fan of the movie. I liked it more than I thought I would, just because my expectations were so low because of people like Matt. But yeah, still a weak effort overall. So that's PG-13, but it, you have Superman murdering someone at the end. And right. this one's R. It's way bloodier. It's way more graphic. Um, and the language is way worse, obviously. And he murders the guy at the end, too. But this seems somehow way more socially responsible just because they put an R rating over it, you know? Right. Um, it's like, yeah, can kids always find a way these days? As soon as this comes out on digital file, kids will get this in two seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. But at least by then, the culture have, you know, have had enough time to process some of the consequences of this, you know what I mean? Um, and, like, you know, is this going to lead to, like, shooters or is it just, you know, I mean... I don't know, with violence these days. Where do you sort of stand on the whole, you know, PG-13, you can kill a ton of people, very little blood, you could say one F-word and a couple of shits, and as long as you do that, you're PG-13, regardless of the content. Yeah, I think the standards that we have are kind of arbitrary and old-fashioned and ridiculous, but I do think there are points at which, by any reasonable standard, a movie Mm. becomes appropriate for people of a certain age and not others. And I think by any metric, Deadpool is an adult film. And that's fine. I'm not slamming it for that. Um, I don't think you should necessarily be snapping a guy's neck in cold blood in a PG-13 movie. Um, I generally wish there was a little bit less violence in film. That was my point. Sorry, that was no, but I just want to stay on Superman for a second. That was my point, was that, you know, just because of the graphic nature and what it meant in terms of the murder at the end of Superman, you could argue for, in my world, an R rating for that, but that, that's not how the system works, and that's why it's broken. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's not. And within just this one context, Deadpool is an assassin. You can't make a movie about an assassin without a lot of graphic murdering, and right. I'm fine with that. Superman is not supposed to be acting that way, and that as people will listen, find out when they, you know, listen to our audio commentary, which I don't want to spoil, that's one of my biggest problems with that scene is it betrays Superman's character. This movie hits Wade Wilson on the head. It nails the character uh, for as important as that may or may not be. Yeah. 
But, you know, if we just look at this top 12, right, you've got the two Avengers movies on the top. We knew that was going to happen. Right. And then you have Iron Man 3, okay, at number 3. But then you have Spider-Man 4 through 6 as well as 10 from Spider-Man, even very subpar spider I mean, I really don't like any of the Spider-Man movies. I won't get on my high horse here. I'm not a Spidey guy. That's why, part of why I love about Deadpool. I don't think people realize this. It's slightly, partially mocking Spider-Man or, or, or taking the Spider-Man persona in a different direction. Not in a disrespectful way. Just, uh, you know, but anyways. No, but as I understand it, the character was created and people had Spider-Man in the back of their minds. The way the yes. eyes in his mask are shaped, the coloring... It's right. very much supposed to sort of be a inspired by Spider-Man character. And at the end of the, in the credits for this movie, there is a scene where he's hanging on a web and then goes, oh shit. And it snaps. He's like a little cartoon character and he falls out of the screen and his sword impales him. So, you know, he calls himself your friendly neighborhood Deadpool. So obviously they are aware that Deadpool and Spider-Man have some visual similarities. Yeah, um, but you're a sports guy, um, and so I, I want to just throw a quick stats analysis that people can follow here. If you look at the 11 movies above Deadpool, two are Avengers, mm-hmm. three are Iron Man, so that's really five movies with the same main character, right? Yep. So you've got five Iron Man movies, and then four Spider-Man movies in, in the top 11. And what are the other two? Can you remember above Deadpool? Uh, there's uh, Captain America, uh, the yep, second Winter one. Soldier. There's- Guardians. And Guardians, right. Guardians at number seven. I mean, until Cap 2 at number 11, the top 10 movies are all Tony Stark and Spider-Man. Seriously. I mean, right. it's all Tony Stark and Spider-Man. It's amazing, you know. It's amazing that in 2013, you know, Robert Downey Jr. can make 1.2 bill on his solo, and then two years later, Ultron only makes $200 million more than that movie <laughs> with a much bigger cast and way more special effects and whatever. Just goes to show people love their characters. Somehow Iron Man has become as great or greater than Sp- than Spider Man for the current generation, which I never saw coming growing up. Um, so just to get some comic stuff in real quick. So we've talked DC um, on published podcasts, and we're going to be talking a ton of DC on Man of Steel. Needless to say, you've been very educational for me, um, and uh, I've been trying to do some more research in the lead up to Batman v Superman. But you know, Matt definitely knows significantly more about the, the Marvel side of things than I do the DC side. And part of that just because of saturation over the last ten to fifteen years, for sure. Right. Um, so. You know, growing up, like, where was the X-Men universe for you? Like, were you interested in it? I know you weren't allowed to watch it on TV. Uh, well, that's what know? kind of made it a little bit of a forbidden uh, treasure sort of a thing is, mm. yeah, my parents wouldn't let me watch it. They thought it was too violent for a cartoon. So I loved that cartoon, but I've only seen five or six episodes. I've watched it a little more recently, and it doesn't age super well. Wolverine is really, really, really whiny in that uh, show. Um, but I certainly liked the X-Men. I thought Cyclops uh, was awesome. The problem I always had with the X-Men comics is there were three or four X-Men titles running concurrently that had the same lineups, but the stories didn't seem to match up. They didn't seem to make continuity sense with each other. And Superman, they were doing the same shit with DC. They had four or five titles publishing each month but they had sort of a numeric system and those stories did all cross over in a way that at least to me made a little bit more sense you know in x-men it seemed like you could have wolverine recovering from having all the adamantium ripped out of his body in 
issue that comes out June 1st, and then June 8th, you have another X title where he's totally fine. And you kind of think, didn't it take a while to heal from having your whole body ripped to shreds? You know, guy loses his powers, gets it back in one issue, and they never even talk about why he's got it back. It just seems like the story where he loses his powers just didn't happen. That made it hard for me to follow uh, X-Men in the 90s. So what you described was the exact reason why I got so into X-Men for a couple of years and then ultimately dropped out uh, because there were so many continuity issue, uh, issues. But more importantly for me, the number of comic books I had to read to follow it was just becoming too much. Um, sure. For me or my parents, I'm not sure. I was probably buying some of my own comic books at that at that point, maybe. Um, but uh, so, but that being said, when I started in '91, that was the heyday of like all the guys who left a couple years later to form Image Comics. But like right. Jim Lee and McFarlane, but you still had Chris Claremont going from like the '80s. Like it was just like the dream team of X Men. That's part of why the the TV franchise both was greenlit and was so successful. Was how mm-hmm. successful those comic books were in the late '80s and early '90s. And let's be honest, who launched this? Frank Miller and Chris Claremont with the original Wolverine book, right? Which mm-hmm. the movie was supposed to be based on. And if they had just followed the comic book a little bit more, it would have been a way better movie. It's still not clear to me why they went away. Uh, do, by the way, do you know that Aronofsky was originally t- directing uh, The Wolverine? I did not know that. Like, they went into early production with him in it, and then he had you know creative differences or whatever. But anyways, the point being, you know, X-Men were in their heyday in those couple-year periods when I was reading and watching on TV. But, you know, it had been at least five or six years since I thought about X-Men when that movie dropped in 2000. And... Uh, <sighs> it's ironic that what 16 years later the x-men franchise is finally mounting maybe a substantial counteroffensive against marvel studios uh fox that, that being um with deadpool and the success of future past and if apocalypse can hit a billion dollars like x-men really shaped it like uh with spider-man as you pointed out in an earlier podcast you know which was in 2002 so x-men was two years before spider-man yeah so x-men 2000 spider-man 2002 but that really launched the modern um you know comic book movie franchise at least the marvel universe side of things and and yet it didn't make that much money the first x-men even the third x-men uh, you know, made quote unquote only four hundred and fifty nine worldwide, and that was in a time yeah, when I, you, you could still make money with bad reviews. I mean, it was still more money than X two. Sure, which is weird because X two was way better than X three, and I, in terms of just quality of the movie, and I, I actually enjoyed it more than Days of Future Past. Whatever, you can't hold X Men the original movies gross against it too much. Up until then, you got to remember we had Blade. And a couple of those really crappy Schumacher uh, Batman movies. And we hadn't had a Superman movie since Superman 4, which was a, a god-awful piece of crap. So people really were not hungry or even thinking about superheroes as a bankable genre. So the fact that X-Men didn't make as much money as a lot of these other movies, I, I don't really think that's any kind of indictment of it. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think a lot of this is a timing issue. Um because you know, I've pointed this out a lot on our pod, on uh, on our podcast, and on others of mine. But if you start in like 2010 to 2012, mm-hmm. you take all the foreign totals of these movie franchises, and you just hit times two on your calculator. What do I mean by that? Here we go: Iron Man, 2008; 
Domestic, 318. Iron Man 2, 2010. Domestic, 312. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3, 2013. Domestic, 409. Still not a huge jump, but whoa, 1.2 worldwide, as opposed to half that for the first two Iron Man movies. Mm-hmm. And while Iron Man 3, I think, was the best of the three, most people would still say the original Iron Man, I guess. I'm not really crazy about any of the Iron Man. I think, I think Iron Man is better with Whedon than with any other director. I think it's indisputable that the best Tony Stark material, for me, is almost all in, in the Avengers movies, which is, makes it even brilliant, more brilliant because you know, they're the only ones above him. Um, there's, you know, and so anyways, point being, X-Men sort of got, got big a little too early almost, you know, in 2000, 2003 and X2, that the foreign distribution wasn't there. And then they were stupid enough to release like two or three really bad movies right as that era was starting. Which is interestingly enough, right when Brian Singer left. And so, I mean, how, how does this happen in Fox? And frame this as a question for you. The movie, the Wolverine in 2013, which should have been way better, although it could have been way worse. I don't know. That's damning with faint praise. Made just 133 million domestically and just over 400 around the world. I mean, Ant Man demolished that. <laughs> and you have Hugh Jackman. And if you ask people, casual fans or not, who their favorite superhero is, I often hear the Wolverine, regardless of if they watch all the stuff. You know, he's such an iconic character and such an iconic actor, and yet that's the 27th highest grossing Marvel film ever. 27, you know, in like less than 20 years here. How does that happen? And then for Deadpool to like double that, you know, already and still be moving. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of factors you have to take into consideration. You have to take into consideration when Wolverine came out, what it opened against versus what when Deadpool came out and what it opened against, uh, you know, People probably were remembering that the first Wolverine solo film, even though it wasn't really a solo film, sucked, and that probably hurt the Wolverine's gross. I mean, and in terms of him being people's favorite character, he is a lot of people's favorite character, but I'm certain that if I found another set of 20 people, I could find 20 people who say Superman is their favorite, or Batman, or or Spider-Man, or anybody, so... Yeah, I was just saying for Marvel, but you're, I mean, Spider-Man would be the obvious one. And as we pointed out, like four of the top 11 or 10 are, are Spider-Man. Um, it's also worth noting that in the comics, Wolverine has been dead, I believe, now for a year and a half. And Marvel is kicking ass in comic sales. It is consistently getting, you know, 15 of the 20 highest selling titles month to month are Marvel comic sales. And they've done it entirely without Wolverine. As far as I know, he maybe just came back to life, but he was dead for a long period of time. Yeah. Well, well, that's exactly why they put him on X-Force and to get back to the movie at hand, which we've talked about in a while. And that's exactly why they put Deadpool on X-Force with Wolverine. Wolverine had been overexposed. You can, I mean, you know, they've done every single possible story with Wolverine over the last 30, 40 years. Um, but if they say, okay, well, we're going to reboot uh, X-Force and make it even darker and more bloody, um, but we can't have it be just so oppressively humorless, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you put, you just put Deadpool on there, and they modify his character. He's, he's way more serious <laughs> than the guy that we see in the movie. Um, 
we can maybe talk about the origin of the character. It, it, this character was definitely created by two people at Marvel. Like, this is one of those characters, and this isn't always the case. You know this. Some characters you can specifically say, these guys invented him. Uh, and, and, that, and that's not always the case, but in Deadpool, it is. I can't pronounce either of their last names. Uh, Rob Liefeld, or Liefeld and uh, Fabian, uh, and the writer, Fabian Cieza, um, who did New Mutants number 98, February 1991. That's right around the time I started reading uh, comics for sure. I don't remember that one in particular. Um, that actually, I believe New Mutants became X-Force or X-Factor, one of those two. But point being, you, you know, your point is excellent that you don't need Wolverine to be successful in the comics uh, is, what, right. is what you're getting towards. And, and is this? And there's a lot of Wolverine jokes in, in uh, Deadpool. I had to think that that uh, Hugh Jackman must have been loving all, all the Wolverine tributes in the movie, right? I mean, he seems like such a like a cool guy in normal life, Jackman. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Wolverine has to be in every single movie, even if for two seconds. And here, it was twice. What was the second time? I remember the mask at the end, but there was another Wolverine uh, shot well, in Deadpool. There were two. There's a shot of... Uh, it's like world's sexiest man. There's like two different magazines with that on the cover. One was Reynolds. The other was Jackman. Uh, <laughs> and right at the beginning, Deadpool says, you may be wondering whose balls I had to fondle to get a movie. Yes. I won't tell you his name, but it rhymes with Pulverine. And let me tell you, he's got a <laughs> pair of smooth criminals down under. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I got to see this movie again. There's just <laughs> so much going on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and that is from the comics, but Deadpool is a little fluidic with his sexual orientation, yeah. and Logan is definitely one of the people he's kind of fixated on. Yeah, I mean, they're really going to explore the the um, bisexual thing in the movies, I think. Ryan Reynolds has said he'd be open to it. I, they haven't started writing the next movie. We have no idea what they're going to do with that. Maybe nothing, maybe something. Uh, all, all I'm saying is... I'm going to throw off some names to for, to you, okay? What all these have in common? Deadpool, Wolverine, Cable, Psylocke, Archangel. All of them, longtime members of X-Force. All of them going to have been introduced by the end of this year, including Olivia Munn as Psylocke, who I'm already... Put your hands over your ears, Bizzlecast listeners. Psylocke's the hottest Marvel character ever. Everybody knows it. Betsy, you know, and they got a beautiful, beautiful woman who knows her martial arts to play her, and she's another great part of X Force. And again, they, they kill people. That's it's not the Charles Xavier model of you know trying to subdue everyone, even when it's totally unrealistic. Um, and right. maybe that's I, maybe that's why I was okay with Superman snapping Zod's neck. I know this is a reach, but it's connected in my head here. You know, versus Deadpool shooting the guy in the head point blank range at the end of a rated R movie. I know there's a lot of you know, that's not Superman's uh, character, um, but at least it was subversive, <laughs> even if a misguided subversiveness. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's just a discussion we don't have because in comic books we have the Deus Ex Machinas, like in terms of characters and like acts of God, you know, so that certain plot points can happen. But we also have the uh, moral days, ex machina, in comic books of, well, we don't really need to know how they won this mission without killing anybody, <laughs> you know? We just won't talk right. about that the they kill. And this is my whole thing with the Avengers and the Battle of New York, you know? It's like, to make the stakes high in, in that movie, 
Um, and by the way, I just put it together while rewatching uh, Dark Knight Rises the other night that uh, at the end of Dark Knight Rises, Bruce Wayne does the exact same thing as Tony Stark with the nuke uh, three months apart. Anyways, you have to assume Battle of New York, there was more casualties, and you don't need to be shoved down your throat, you know? And that's where I agree with you, like, gratuitous civilian killing. Like, make it real, you know, or make it important if you're going to do it. But I think it's still implied. And just because, you know, comic books get around those issues. And so that's why I have zero problem with these ultra-violent properties. And, you know, look what, and look what other comic series, you know, everything from Watchmen to, uh, to Spawn. I mean, man, have you read Spawn before? Holy shit. Yeah. That is some dark fucking shit, you know? It is. I, I don't think history is going to remember Spawn very fondly. I think the 90s were a shitty time for comics, and I think Image was absolutely one of the reasons why. But you kind of hit the nail on the head that what Deadpool, I think, maybe achieves and why it appeals to people is because it is sometimes hard to watch these PG-13 superhero movies and not think, how are people not just dying everywhere? Yeah. You know, yeah. and Deadpool says, oh, they are. We are totally just murdering people left and right. That's what a superhero does. I mean, teenage, a negasonic teenage warhead crushes <laughs> two mercenaries behind a car. I mean, yeah. those guys are dead. I, I mean, yeah. I'd be shocked if somehow they survived that. And she's an X-Man. I mean, she's a hero in theory. But sometimes when they're shooting at you, you got to kill them. Um, and this movie kind of cuts through some bullshit that, PG-13 movies maybe are a little afraid, more afraid to do. Yeah, I mean, the PG-13 thing, I guess this is as good of a form as any. If you look back at, let's say, X2, which I know you like a lot, and so you remember pretty well, I assume. Mm-hmm. So Wolverine skewers a lot of soldiers uh, yeah. in that movie. And on top of that, the stuff that happens in the second half in the Weapon X um, compound uh, is very gruesome and violent uh, and just painful looking at times. Like, what has happened in the 12 or 13 years since then where, you know, like you can't, like the, the 20% of the most violent of that stuff has been deemed inappropriate for some reason, right? It'll just take out the blood. And, you know, I mean, to me, that, that that's way more disturbing, all this bloodless, you know, mega violence on, on screen. Like, kill fewer people, but make it more real. I don't know. I don't want to be the one cheering for death here, but I think you know where I'm coming from, right? Realism is what it is. I, 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 there is an inherent unrealism to comic books. I mean, these are aliens with superpowers from the sun or mutants who can shoot laser beams out of their eyes or, or regenerate limbs. So obviously there is an inherent lack of reality, realism to any of this. Uh, but if, I don't know, I don't want to see all superhero movies approach violence one way or another way. Why I think Deadpool resonated so well is because it is the first movie to approach violence this way, to approach just making a superhero movie this way. And I think it just comes off as very, very unique because of that, because really no one else has tried to make a movie like this, or when they have, they've butchered it so badly, you don't care. Yeah, um, and this will be a great way um, I sort of structure this podcast backwards, because I wanted to get the big picture stuff out ahead of time before talking too much about the movie, but... What's crazy to me about Deadpool, both in the comics and the movie, is that on the surface, it's the antithesis from a tonal standpoint of everything X-Men stands for, right? I mean, making fun of itself, acknowledging that it's taking itself too seriously, you know, mocking the absurdities both in the comics and out of the comics, you know, breaking the fourth wall stuff, etc., would seem to make 
more sense in the um, Marvel uh, uh, films. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting so mixed up with the studio. Deadpool would seem to make more sense in the Marvel Studios property, like the Avengers world, right? On the surface, before you think about it. But in some ways, it helps save X-Men. I mean, no one's going to say it, but you know, Deadpool is actually more popular now among hardcore comic book fans than Wolverine is. Uh, I don't know if you can make a blanket statement like that. I don't know how many you know and how many you've polled, but... No, I'm, I'm just talking, like, in terms of, like, cult status. Like, I've never gone to Comic-Con or any of these sorts of things, but, like, my understanding is, like, Deadpool is highly, highly represented at these things. Yeah. Um You know, they're, they're not more popular in terms of sheer numbers, but, like, you know, just where the comics are right now and, you know, why it took so long to to get this movie out... I just can't believe it ever came out. Like, I'm still not, I'm on the fence about whether I'm more surprised that it came out or that it made $250 million domestically in like a week and change. Like, how does that happen? Like, I'll, I'll throw it to you and leave it open. You can point to certain parts of the movie. You can talk about Ryan Reynolds. You can talk about the direction, the writing, the, you know, stunts, whatever. Like, what, why this movie now? Well, all right. So, a few things that I think this movie does right. The least important is that it gets the character right from the comics. And I say that that's the least important because I've said this on other podcasts. There's not a lot of correlation between comic popularity and success of these movies. But this movie does get Deadpool right. He is acerbic. He is bisexual or pansexual or however you want to describe his sexuality. He is very aware in the comics. He's aware he's a comics character. And in this, he's aware that he's in a superhero movie. And really this movie spoofs superhero movies, not comic books. And that's an important distinction. I think it also works because of how fucking funny it is. It is just nonstop jokes and almost every one of them lands. I can't think of any jokes off the top of my head that don't work at all. Almost every one of them is really, really funny. And that shit's hard to do no matter what the subject is. Um, And then the third reason, and I think this is the biggest reason, is that it is taking a shot at superhero movies and taking some of the hot air out of a genre that very much needed to be taken down a peg or two. Um, We have had, if you look at Marvel, Warner Brothers in DC, Fox, Sony, everything, since X-Men started the superhero, the new genre, you know, movement in 2000, we've had over 50 superhero movies based on comic books and several more that are comic book movies that just aren't based on comic books, but have superheroes and follow the same plotting uh, and structure of a, a superhero comic book movie. Over 50. I mean, Marvel has 40 by itself in the last 30 plus years. Uh... That is certainly possible. I mean, we have had... If you go back to Howard the Duck at the 86... Right, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Uh, Superman movies or the Batman movies from the 90s. Start with X-Men. You have had, I think, seven X movies. You've had 12 Marvel movies. There have been three Fantastic Fours, two Ghost Riders, three, the Nolan three Batman movies, you know, two Hellboys, etc., etc., etc. Hellboy is not Marvel. No, but it but it's a superhero movie. It's and it's based off a comic book. No, it's um I think it's Dark Horse. I'm mean, what I'm telling you right now is if you go back to Blade in '98 and then X Men right. in 2000, that's 39 movies in the Marvel universe. Sure, but the 39. DC movies and the non and the movies based on on neither of them have followed some of these same structures and they have some of the same problems. But 
however you want to define it, we have had so many movies, and the only comedy before this, the only true comedy, in my opinion, was Guardians of the Galaxy. And one of the things that we talked about that Guardians does so well is it points out the silliness and the ridiculousness of space operas, and in moments where it could be cliched, makes fun of it. Um, Deadpool does the same, but with the superhero movie genre. Um, and I think superhero movies have become very self, uh, proud. they've become very proud of themselves. They've gotten kind of stuffy. They've gotten kind of pretentious in their own way, kind of up their own ass. I think Ultron was like that. I think Man of Steel was like that. I think Batman oh, Superman is so going to be like that. I think that's going Ultron, to be stuffy. You may have not loved. You may not have loved Ultron, but Joss Whedon is still making fun of himself constantly in that movie. He is. It's, it's not like there's. I don't know the the gravitas. This this feeling that everything is so important all the time. Even if granted, the plot is to save the world, so that is pretty important. It's an Avengers movie, man. But all of the superhero movies have been like this to a lesser or greater extent. Sure. Every single one of them has been so obsessed with, the, with its own self-importance. And that's not Marvel alone. That is absolutely DC. That is absolutely the Nolan trilogy, right. you know, where everything is for the battle of the city's soul, you know. And Batman v Superman is going to be just like that with God versus man and dark versus night and all the other dog shit in that yep. monologue that Lex Luthor gives. This movie is the first to finally point out, guys, we run around in funny colored suits and we can't swear because we're made for kids. This is all really silly and we should be having a slightly sillier approach to it. This is the first movie or, or maybe the second after Guardians to point that out. And I think people who like comic book movies and comic books were desperate for somebody to make a movie that makes this point. Um, that this is all silly, that we should all be taking this shit a little less seriously. I think that's maybe the biggest reason why Deadpool has connect, resonated so well with viewers. Is that why it makes so much money? No idea. I mean, it's outgrossing Star Wars in Russia, mostly because it has a Russian superhero in it, even though it's not voiced by a Russian guy, but whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, part of what worked with this movie, and a lot of people have commented on this, is the marketing. I mean, they did a brilliant yes. job marketing the movie. Uh, we all know that. We knew that before, even well before this, that they were doing a great job marketing the movie. But And you, you know, pointed the, out, sorry, I just wanted to uh, no, chime okay. in real quick. You yeah. pointed out why hasn't uh, right. uh, Fox or Sony tried to force out another Fantastic Four. The last Fantastic Four movie, one of the biggest reasons it failed was because of how poorly it was marketed. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying more Fantastic Four. I'm just saying get rid of it to another company. I don't want more Fantastic Four. Sorry, go ahead. Sure, uh, but that was that might have been the last movie based on a Marvel character, though that wasn't a Marvel Studios film before Deadpool. I think I don't think there's anything in between them, and I think there was certainly a lesson to be learned from how much Fantastic Four bombed. That you know when you have a director putting out tweets saying I had a beautiful movie that you're never going to see because the studio axed it and reports of everyone not getting along and the marketing is terrible. You get shit like fantastic four. When you have a team where everybody has a very clear conception of what they want to do and knows how to execute it, you get wonderful. I mean, maybe even masterpiece quality films like Deadpool um, because everything, everybody is on the same page, the marketing knew exactly what kind of character it was. You know, you had billboards that were just 
like a skull and then a piece of uh, an image of a piece of poop and then an L. And so it, and what are they called? Rubicons. So you put them all together and you get Deadpool. You know, you had Ryan Reynolds in, you know, poses wearing Santa hats. Right. You know, the marketing people knew exactly what Deadpool was. The writers knew exactly who Deadpool was. Everybody in the cast knew exactly who their character was and how to make that character work in this world. You know, one thing we have to talk about at some point mm. is that Ryan Reynolds sells this film, but Marina Bakarin is awesome. Amazing. TJ Miller is hilarious as Weasel. I think Brianna Hildebrand kills it as Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Kills and even, it. And even Leslie Uggams as Blind Al is fantastic, you know, with just the maybe six lines that she has. Ed Screen wasn't great as Ajax, but they didn't really give him anything to do. He just had to look smug and then die. Uh, sorry, spoiler. Um, <laughs> you know, so Ed Screen could have been anybody, but everybody else were as hilarious and killed their roles as well or, or almost as well as Ryan Reynolds killed it as Wade Wilson. Absolutely. Um, so Morena, I believe it's pronounced Baccarin. I, I used to say Baccarin. I believe it's Baccarin. I've seen it both ways. So whichever yeah. it is, Morena, if you're but listening she, to this, I apologize. Um, she is so amazing on Firefly and Serenity. I mean, Serenity, she didn't really get a lot of chance to shine because of how the plot was structured with the characters. She wasn't like a main, main character, but in the series, she's fantastic. Especially when you realize she was like 21 when they filmed the original series or something like that. And right. she was like she was right out of uh, acting school in New York. Essentially, we didn't just discuss, you know discovered her, and that's why I was so pumped for her to be in Homeland. But her role in Homeland is just being a really neurotic, uh, distrustful, naggy housewife, which makes sense with the character because her husband's a terrorist. He's not saying that he's a terrorist, and so you know she's losing her mind slowly, and so that's how it comes across. It's great to see her back being hilarious again because she can be so funny when she wants to. Um, and I, I'm, you brought this up at the perfect time because I was just going to say, along with the marketing, the Valentine's Day connection was brilliant, mm -hmm. brilliant, you know? I mean, turning this into a twisted Valentine's Day movie. Oh, and by the way, 48% of ticket buyers or, 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 or people, I'm sorry, 48% uh, of people who went to this movie as of a couple days ago were female, which you almost never see in any movie, let alone a rated R ultraviolet right. comic book movie. And the movie even kind of gets that because in that opening fight scene, he makes a joke where he says, you're probably thinking, my boyfriend said this was a superhero movie, but he just turned that guy into a fucking shish kebab. <laughs> so the movie knew it was going after women or that it might wind up getting a large contingent of female viewers, maybe just because it was coming out around Valentine's Day or, or they thought it would be a good couples movie. I don't know. But again, they knew that that might happen. Because that's why there's a joke about that in the movie. If it was all dudes seeing it, that joke wouldn't have worked at all, and it probably nope. wouldn't have gotten in. But I think they had a hunch women would like this movie, which is a complaint people have a lot of, about a lot of superhero movies or other ones, is they don't have enough women in them. So props right. to Deadpool for, for being a little progressive in that front. Yep. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to um, throw a few more uh, thoughts at you from uh, sort of... Um, I don't know, like sub-structural standpoint as to other reasons why this could work. And I wanted to talk about its release and it being near Valentine's Day. Um, now, 
in, in the last, you know, couple decades, okay, in the top 30 Marvel movies, universe movies, only three have not been in the months of May, June, or July. Three. Mm-hmm. And there's something that they all share, I think. So, did you see Big Hero 6? I did not see that. I yes. don't know anything about it. Yeah, okay. Was that good? It's really cute. It's a cartoon. Cool. Um, actually, T.J. Miller voices one of the characters. Um, it's it's visually stunning. It has a really interesting and well-fleshed-out visual look to it. You know, it's an animated film. It is not in the Marvel Cinematic. It was just put out by Disney. Okay. I think it is for kids. It's yeah, very good, yeah. though. It's very enjoyable. I've heard that was great, and I didn't learn until later that Marvel was involved, so props to them. That made a lot of money. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one out of the equation for now, because we know kids' movies come out in November, December, and that one indeed came out it in November. It's animated versus live action, so that's a difference, right. too. So all three of those movies that I mentioned, which did not come out in May, June, or July, are in the top 12, and on top of that have all come out within the last two years. I'm mm-hmm. sure you could get all, all of these. There's only three. One's Deadpool coming out in February. Nothing has even come out in March. But there's right. one that came out in early April, and there's one that came out in very early August of 2014. Fantastic Four was early August, I think. No, I'm saying these are these these are um, of the top. Oh, these are 30. Cinematic. Oh, in the top 30. Yeah, I'm looking at the list myself. Yeah, the Fantastic Four doesn't even place on on, on this list because of how little yeah, money it made. So they were all pretty bad. Um, hmm. So, in a great marketing move that I still don't know how happened, Captain America the Winter Soldier was released April 4th, 2014. Mm. And, and is that a Mar- an August review release? No, it, it feels like one, but it's mid-July. Okay. It felt like one. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy came out August 1st, 2014, but that's basically a late-July release. You yeah. know, It just happened that the date fell on August 1st or whatever. Some people probably saw it July 31st. So you got Deadpool and Spider-Man, I mean, and uh, Captain America. And that's it. That is it. Mm-hmm. Until Big Hero 6 in the number 17, you have Thor the Dark World, um, which is a brilliant November uh, release. Or I should say, is, is, you know, that is totally a movie you should release in November. Do your weird magical stuff in November. We have this November coming up. We've got Doctor Strange. And then mm-hmm. November of 2017, we've got Thor Ragnarok. So that makes a lot of sense. So that takes care of the kids and sort of magical movies. So then you're staring at Captain America and Deadpool at 11 and 12. Uh, Deadpool could top cap uh i suppose uh, again the worldwide totals haven't quite come in although today i think i sent you this um and you know deadpool's already beaten star wars in <laughs> in russia for some reason the russians are really into deadpool um, colossus I, I, I'm almost, I, I can't come up with any other reason except that it has colossus who is a russian superhero even though the voice who i did not like by the way that was my least favorite part of the movie you know i, I like the jokes where he's uh, where he shows up at the studios at the the school and he says, right. "How come there's always only two of you?" It's almost right. like the you know the companies <laughs> didn't have enough movie money to afford more X Men. Yeah, and, and of course they the the uh, McAvoy or Stewart line was great as like, well. Which which one, McAvoy Stewart? <laughs> I was dying. Continuity. Which and that points out something else that I think does work about this movie is yes. you need to know almost nothing to enjoy nothing. this. You need to know that mutants exist. Yep. You should know that there is a school called Xavier School for the Gifted and two actors have played Professor X. That's pretty much all you need to know. You don't need to know anything about what happens in any of the X movies. You don't even really need to know about how mutants are viewed in this world. There's one line Colossus gives about you can forget about how the world sees us. It really doesn't matter. 
Um, you know, this is supposed to be a Weapon X facility, but they never even call it that. So you don't need to know that that's the facility that produced Deadpool. And this this is the amazing thing. This is and this is you know this is a comic book thing, but I think people must have picked up on this at some level in the theaters. Even though the middle origin story part with Ajax was the least interesting part of the film, you know, it's just almost perfunctory. It was really the only part of the film that felt perfunctory. But anyways, that being said, uh, it was part of the Weapon X program, which is where Wolverine came from, supposedly. But Deadpool is not a mutant. I've checked with many nerds on and offline. Apparently, according to the strict definition of old school mutants, Deadpool is not a mutant. And so, the most popular character in the X-Men universe right now, on screen, and one of the most popular off the screen, isn't even a mutant. He's the only one. He's the only main character in the X-Men universe that's not a mutant. I find that amazing. I guess Moira McTaggart would be, like, number two, right? I mean... Sure. I mean, did you even know that? I wasn't even sure. It had been a while since I'd read the comic books uh, up until a few months ago. I'm like, all right, I'll get prepped for the movies, read read up on some of them. I'd forgotten that he wasn't a mutant, although they try and sell it. You know, the selling of him being a partial mutant in the movie, I also did not love. Or his latent mutated genes. To throw this way back in Blade, the first Blade movie, they start talking about the difference between being a born vampire and a turned vampire and how maybe it doesn't matter or maybe it does this seems like one of those things where the the what they do to him basically turns him into a mutant. So the fact that he wasn't originally born one does it really matter? I I mean, who who cares? He's he's in the same battle now with the rest of the mutants for self ex, for acceptance, you know, by the greater world. I, I mean, I agree with you, but the way that the Marvel uh, series are ghettoized between these various teams and different kinds of superpowers, it does make a difference. You know, I mean, the Avengers and the X Men are always kept separate, right? Mm-hmm. When the Avengers uh, get involved in something X Men, like House of M, some huge event, it's like all of the Avengers. It's like, oh, hey, it's the Avengers and the X Men, they're going to team up, but they're still separate. If you're a mutant, you're in one place, you're not, you know, then you're not, and you're a different place. Now, that could be saying something about racism or just racialism, I guess would be a better word. Like, you know, the whole notion behind races in general, which is absurd uh you know but the mutant question does beg the question for real if you will uh, about the sort of geneticism behind all of this but you know i mean as an excellent guy i remember being just very briefly kind of annoyed that that was the case and then i got over it in terms of him not being a mutant i was like oh man this is stupid like but they're called X-Men for a reason. Other, I mean, that's why, by the way, I, I didn't realize this until recently. It, tell, you, tell me if you think I'm wrong on this. <laughs> not only can the Avengers not talk about mutants in the Disney Studios movies, uh, but they can't even imply that you were born with superpowers, right? I mean, none of them were born with superpowers, as far as I can tell, in any of the Disney Studios, uh, Marvel Studios movies. It's, it's always an experiment or a super serum or, you know, I guess Thor is a god. He'd be the one that was sort of born with them. And so, in the X-Men universe, it's like you're always born with it. So, I'm hoping the latent mutant thing... Sorry, guys. Nerd alert. <laughs> I'll get off this in a second. I'm hoping the latent mutant thing is more like in Inhumans, where you just have some mutants that spontaneously evolve when they hit adolescence, or, or, or you know, and some that need pushing. But, you know, if it has the wider meaning, now we're going into the, okay, anyone can be a mutant thing, and so why do we care? Sure. Um, but I want to reiterate what I said earlier. This kind, these kind of, no, <laughs> these kind of thoughts are interesting to people who do know the comics, and they, they're questions that are sort of raised. But if you don't know any of this stuff, you will still love Deadpool. You barely need to know anything about 
anything in the Marvel universe at all to like this film, to understand what's going on, to get its world. It's, it's what makes it maybe more accessible than any other superhero movie that's been produced since 2000 with X-Men started this whole thing. Maybe it is the most generally understandable, accessible superhero movie made in the last 15 years because of how little you need to know about what's going on in the comics to understand it. Yeah, and I would actually compare this to Star Wars in that as high as the fan scores are all around, the non-nerd fan scores are higher for this movie than the nerd fan scores, which is also the case with The Force Awakens. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the, the different nerd podcasts I listen to and websites, let's just, you know, let's put it this way. Most of the nerds I know like The Force Awakens, but not everyone loved it. Deadpool 2 was a little split between right. like and love. But if you look at the mainstream stuff, I mean, you know, it's off the charts and IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, whatever, you know, and so forth. So the general audience is definitely getting this. And so when you invest so much time and money and effort in the X-Men franchise for 15 years, and then you drop this movie for like a $58 million production budget and maybe, uh, I don't know, 30 to $50 million marketing budget, um, and then it just starts beating all your movies, are you happy or do you have to go, shit, <laughs> like we got lucky on this and we need to rethink our whole strategy with the X-Men movies. Like Apocalypse is going to be the opposite of this movie and now that makes me a little nervous. Yeah, th- that's another movie that now I'm basing this off the trailers, which are not always accurate, but that's another movie that seems like it's very much believes in the importance of its own content. You know, you are all my children, but you are lost following blind leaders. Those kind of monologues really get old for me. And yeah. the only one of the ones there of those there is in Deadpool is Colossus's final four or five moment speech. And halfway through it, Deadpool shoots Ajax in the head and Colossus starts vomiting. So like with Guardians, where they make a joke every time they could have degenerated into a cliched space opera moment, when this movie could have become a cliched superhero movie, that's when they usually make a joke. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not thrilled with the apocalypse marketing campaign so far. I, I do believe the dialogue in the film will be quite different than the trailer. It's almost all voiceover anyways. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good first trailer, but the, the visuals of the characters does look pretty cool. It does look like Singer's taking a little Zack Snyder stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that looks like it's right out of 300 or Man of Steel. You yeah. Know, with just the, but I think that Singer is just a much better director, and so we'll use those... Like, we're seeing those in the trailers to get us excited, but it'll be more like a Matrix thing, at least in the original Matrix, where what, you know, what made the, the cool, uh, you know, like Jungle Gym stuff uh, great in the Matrix with Neo and his burgeoning superpowers was that it didn't actually happen that often, at least not right. initially, right? And so when, when he got to bend the Matrix and then break the rules, like, he just, that happened over time. So anyways, point being, I think Brian Singer can handle it. Um, I do think there's no way Deadpool doesn't end up in Wolverine next year. I've tried to find this online. I I don't see if you're Hugh Jackman and you get a rated R for Wolverine, at least have Deadpool as a side character, right? I don't know. Well, it takes, as I understand it, it, they're basing that plot off Old Man Logan, which is a comic that takes place 30 years in the future or so. I don't understand. I don't know how much of that they're going to really draw on. I've, I've read what that comic is about and it's, you know, the world, the country has kind of been broken into these sort of baronies that sound almost like the plot of uh, Into the Badlands, the AMC martial arts show, where you have like different mutants ruling each little 
corner of the the country, like a district in Hunger Games or something. I don't know that they're going to do all of that stuff. They may just have a movie about an old, bitter Wolverine. Um, but if they do that, I don't know that Deadpool is going to have a place in a movie like that. Now, they have done Deadpool stories where he has to live, like, for hundreds of years. Like, he gets – I think there's one where he starts joking about he gets locked in a vault for a thousand years, so he just starts playing chess against himself, which is fun until the other guy starts winning. So they could certainly have a young, flippant de- Deadpool as a contrast. But if they really are setting this in some kind of sort of dystopian future with Wolverine, I don't quite know that Deadpool is going to work in a movie like that. I'd also be okay with keeping him completely separate on his own, you know, keeping it so that you have to know very, very little to, to enjoy his movies. Yeah, I mean, the problem with the dystopian thing and... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at some images here of uh, of Ryan Reynolds doing the uh, the cock shake. Um, right. <laughs> um, you know, he teabags somebody in the opening yeah, credits. That's as yeah. much a sign as you need that this is not going to be a very serious <laughs> film. Um, you know, in the X Men movies, as I mentioned, uh, although I haven't released the commentaries yet, so maybe I haven't mentioned it on there, is that they're either constantly teasing hinting at or actually living in horrible dystopic futures and usually it's going multiple dystopic futures going on the same time as the present day and stuff in the past and that's why days of future past did i think as good as you can for a time travel movie x-men because of how complicated it is over 40 years of uh, over comics but the dystopian futures x-men are all brilliant and they all look different and it depends on what historical events have happened and who's there but, you know, you have Wolverine who can live forever, basically, past, present, future, or, or he gets Old Man Logan. Um, now you have Deadpool who has the healing factor, so it seems like he's you know, going to be able to live a while. Um, but we also know that we have people in the future, including Cable, who we know we're getting. So uh, my, I guess what I'm saying is, if you're going to do Old Man Logan, you've got to do some world building for Deadpool and Cable and so forth, because sending them to the future is so what I want, like... You know, I mean, there's such a tease at the beginning and end of Days of Future Past. First and only time we ever really see the full X-Men dystopia vision on display. And it was glorious, you know, those battle scenes. But we didn't really get to live in there. So, yeah, I'd be down for that idea. And I think Deadpool could still be could still be around. Uh, it's all Hugh Jackman, right? I mean, if Hugh Jackman says, I want Ryan Reynolds in my movie, like, it's going to happen. I, I, right. I, 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 could, I could be wrong. No, I, I think if he insists on it, he'll be in it. Um, I just don't no i i don't know i mean i have no idea i i, I could certainly honestly see a situation I, I just hope it would be done organically where there is almost a sort of meta passing of the torch of i have carried the x universe for right. the first and i was trying movies. to get to this earlier mr co-contributor so thank you for looping us back to the important stuff now about the connection between this and and wolverine go ahead going so, forward yeah. well can I talk about what happens at the end of the Old Men Logan comic? Yeah, spoiler alert for those of you who don't have Marvel Unlimited. Uh, you know, so as I difficult. understand it, in the end he, he dies. I think he, he claws himself in the heart, which is the only way to end his life or something like that. He, he has to rescue somebody, maybe his daughter or just some, some kid, and he does, but then he dies. He's finally just said, fuck it, I'm, I'm done with this. And so... If there was a movie, a scene in which Logan sort of says to Deadpool, it's your world now or something like that, and then he, and then he rides off into the sunset, uh, hopefully it would not be hackneyed. It wouldn't be 
you know, uh, Star Trek Generations. But if they did it right, I would kind of be okay with that because I certainly think Deadpool is the character who can carry the Marvel Universe after Logan is gone. Um, if they did that, I'd be okay with it. If he's just in it for some reason, I don't know that that would be a great use of the character. I, and you've got to wonder if Hugh Jackman just doesn't want one last movie to be all about him, and then he can just say goodbye to all of this. I'll leave Hugh Jackman aside for a second. He's earned the right to do whatever he wants for the last movie, as far as I'm concerned. But um, they, they haven't given him the best material. Uh, I mean, he's been, if you don't count Deadpool, he's been in all other seven uh, X-Men movies. Um, he barely appeared in uh, First Class, famously, telling them to go fuck themselves, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was really amazed, if you count both Wolverine movies and the other four X-Men movies, including Last Stand and uh, Days of Future Past, was the major or one of the major characters. And it's interesting that mm-hmm. him leading the X-Men um, works better than him in solo movies from a film perspective. There's a lot going on. I, I thing is, I, I agree with that Deadpool as a franchise can help financially and just in terms of a creative cauldron move Fox forward. But Deadpool being a non-mutant and a, an outsider and a mercenary, he can never be a true leader of the X-Men. They've held off on having Logan be a hero of the X-Men in the movies, which is fine. He's more of like the combat leader, you know, but they let Cyclops and Professor X do, do most of the stuff, which is how it should be um, from a leadership standpoint, as it is in the comics. But he does lead X-Force and does lead the X-Men at certain times. And so I don't think, you know, Deadpool can be weaving in and out of the main X story. I, if anything, it's more like a like an outlet, <laughs> you know, like just like a uh, if you like X Men but it's starting to feel too serious for you, like check out Deadpool three. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like a like a catharsis release from the gravity and darkness of, of the X Men movies. Right. I mean, the Marvel, the being a mutant thing or not, they could just say he is one. They can do whatever they want to the character. Yeah, but you know, I mean, he can never—he didn't be a leader of the X Men. I mean, that's the whole point of his character. He has no interest in such things, right? Yeah, you know, he used—he used Colossus, you know, under the false pretext that he wasn't going to shoot the guy in the head, and then he shoots the guy in the head, right? <laughs> you know, um, so uh, and you knew it was coming too. Oh man, that, that's what, what I loved about Deadpool was they telegraphed a lot of the stuff, but in a hilarious and smart way, you know. Uh, it's just you're, you're, like you're just counting how many words Colossus gets out <laughs> before he pulls the trigger, and it was a great love story. I mean, honestly, I, I've heard men and women say this that it was just an enjoyable, different love story. Who would have thought Deadpool on you know and around Valentine's Day, super violent, but not super dark. You know, as we've been, I think you and I have been trying to uh, you know carve out that darkness in these movies means a lot of different things when you're going from Days of Future Past to Man of Steel to Deadpool. They're all dark in very different ways. Yeah, I don't know. Is it possible Suicide Squad is going to be a little like this? And uh, uh, question 1A to Suicide Squad, is it possible that they're going, shit, we should have made a rated R movie? <laughs> uh, they might definitely be thinking that. I mean, they uh, have you know, they have lines where the Joker says things like, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to hurt you really, really bad. And maybe they're feeling like maybe we should have actually shown something like that i it might be funny ish although the sense of humor that i've seen in the trailer so far with harley is definitely not the irreverent it's irreverent but again it's not it strikes me as an action movie that is going to have a comedic character in it i don't think it's going to be a comedy Um, now i don't know if it could work as a comedy 
But you look at like how Will Smith is playing Deadshot, and he doesn't seem to be playing it, you know, in any way other than just as a straight bad guy. You know, the Joker, that seems to be the least goofy version of the Joker we've seen yet. And Heath Ledger was pretty damn not goofy uh, in The Dark Knight. So, yeah, I just kind of, I'm not really on board with your your uh, separation of, of comedies. I mean, I guess Guardians was a comedy. I thought it was funny, not as funny as a lot of people thought it was. Honestly, I mean... Uh, to me, I laugh way more in both Avengers movies than in Guardians. Now, part of that is I just prefer Joss Whedon's brand of humor. I just find him hilarious and his writing hilarious. And so it's going to be different for different people. Uh, Guardians is a lot of, like, chuckles and, like, big smiles for me, which is great, you know. But it's not a lot of, like, laugh out loud, like Deadpool um, or, or Avengers is, which does still make, even the original Avengers still makes me laugh out loud when I watch it sometimes. The, the thing with Guardians for me is when you have lines like, he says he's an asshole, but not 100% of the dick. Dick, uh, yeah. <laughs> but do you believe him? Oh, I don't believe anybody's 100% of a dick, man. I can't believe anybody would write a line like that and not think that they're writing a line in a comedy. I mean, absolutely. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, just just the invention of pelvic sorcery uh, right. alone is deserving of a of a comedy award. Uh, meaning, you know, it's not hard and fast lines. The best movies. I mean, even the Winter Soldier had some like cute comedy to it. You know, sure. I mean, or at least cute humor. It's all about how you use right. it. My, my problem, even with the Dark Knight movies, is like you could throw in a few more, uh, you know, jokes. Uh, you know, and wouldn't kill anybody. Just throw in a few more jokes. I mean, Man of Steel could have used any. Was there yeah. a single even attempted joke in the entire Man of Steel movie? Like even when he just flies away at the end, the chick—I uh, shouldn't say the chick—the female soldier who's with Harvey Lennox, Harry Lennox, whatever that actor's name is—says, "Sorry, sir, I just think he's kind of hot." I right. think that's supposed to be a funny line. It's not bad. I, I think it could have used two dozen more of those, actually. You know, and, and and in Batman v Superman, we know that when Wonder Woman shows up, Superman's going to look at her. And and look at Batman and say, is she with you? And he's going to go, I thought she was with you. So there are jokes. I mean, there are jokes in Godfather and Goodfellas. They're not comedies. I I think the sum total, when you look at Guardians, it is a comedy first and a science fiction space opera second. And I think Deadpool is a comedy first and a superhero movie second. You know, I, Avengers is extremely funny. Spider-Man has... A care, you know, maybe one of the most brilliant castings of all time in J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, and he's just unbelievably hilarious. But I don't think those are comedies. I, I think they are are just action movies or or superhero movies with funny scenes in them. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think guys like Gunn and Whedon can do both at the same time, and that's what makes it brilliant. You know, I actually cannot wait for Guardians too. I'm not going to say it's going to be better, but as brilliant as the first one is, that was still Gunn's first big movie. And they're not gunning for him, you know, pushing him the way they push Whedon with the Avengers movies, you know? I mean, he's going to have to set up s- some stuff. They've already said that no Thanos, thank God. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you had Kurt Russell as his dad. I mean, that's the whole movie. That's all you need. It's going to be brilliant and hilarious, as you pointed out. Yeah, I- I'm just saying, Suicide Squad, if it's not hilarious and violent, and you know, well-written, then that's them just really screwing up an opportunity where people are ready for darker movies mm-hmm. with a darker sense of humor. I think the thing about Deadpool is it's raunchy, but it's really not dark, you know? I mean, no. he's like... <sighs> and here's what I never thought would work for me. I'm like, okay, Deadpool, kind of an annoying character sometimes or a lot on the, on the page. Ryan Reynolds, honestly, kind of an annoying actor at times, but it just cancels itself out beautifully. 
because it, it just fits. He, it's so lovably annoying, you know, which is really hard to pull off. And the script, and again, this gets back to one of my earlier points. You have this perfect melding between character, actor, and script. Yes. So, yes, Ryan Reynolds' kind of acting persona can be a little grating. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But it seems like the people who wrote this script knew exactly that. And they worked that into you know how they wrote this character to take advantage of the things that Ryan Reynolds is both good at and you know people find difficult with him and take it and maximize all of it you know the the scene where he takes the pizza delivery and you know he's going to shoot the rich guy he's like dude I'll kill your fucking cat I don't have a cat then whose litter did I just shit in I mean <laughs> that whole scene you can't believe anybody wrote that and so you think it must have been improvised, and then you think there's no way anybody improvised that. That is a perfect melding, and there's been very, very, very few instances in this genre where they nail it that on the nose. Absolutely. And it's been confirmed there was a lot of improv, but the script also was that brilliant. Right. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, wedding, again, to make the Wedding Crashers comparison, a very thick script, but you go scene by scene. If you listen to the commentary, a lot of it was improv by those two guys. Alan Wilson and Vince Vaughn, um, and the, um, all the best you know c- comedy movies are. I mean, people don't realize in Guardians of the Galaxy to bring it all around that Sean Gunn, um, who, who's James Gunn's brother and who played Yondu's uh, second, I forget his name in the movie. You know the Mohawk dude who was Yondu's right hand man. Yep, <laughs> Captain got to teach stuff. You know, right. uh, he was also the stand-in for Rocket, and he would walk around on his legs, crouched down all day long, just so they could measure out Rocket where the lights should be, where the eye line should be. I mean, you know how painful that is. And mm-hmm. but but they would let him say the Rocket lines, and he's the one that came up with standing around like a bunch of assholes thing. At the end of that, you're going, oh, this is the most logical Guardians, you know, ending to a scene ever, where Rocket's the last one to get up, and he goes, yeah, here we are, bunch of assholes, standing around, bunch of idiots, you know, that whole thing? Mm-hmm. Sean, Sean Gunn came up with that. It was confirmed from his brother. I'm going, okay, well, how else were they going to end that scene? Uh, maybe they're hoping for a Chris Pratt improv, but that's when you know you've got a great cast. I mean, look at the Guardians cast. Chris Pratt, already hilarious. Zoe Saldana can really do anything, <laughs> including be funny. Um, you know, Bradley Cooper, hilarious. Vin Diesel, uh, I don't know what about Vin yeah. I mean, he only had three words to say, but he was perfect <laughs> at them. Yeah, and he, he actually cracks me up in real life, even though I don't really like his movies. And then you have Dave Bautista, who, you know, they gambled on that one big time. It paid off. And that's what you need in these movies. I don't know with Will Smith and, you know, Margot Robbie and Jai Courtney whether that's all going to come together in Suicide Squad. Um, and so... As a final question, man, then we can wrap this up. You know, you and I have talked a lot about how comic book movies are going to succeed for, you know, for longer based on their ability to sort of adapt to different genres, you mm-hmm. know, or, or bust right. genres or break genres or cross genres or combined genres. Mm-hmm. Is it possible, though, that now everyone is trying to, you know, go outside the genre, then that's when you have a movie like The Avengers where it's a pure comic book movie. I'm not saying this is why Ultron slightly underperformed, but where you just have these huge team-ups like Batman v Superman or The Avengers or maybe even the new X-Men movie with so many characters and the stakes are so you know supposedly high and so serious and whatever, 
even with the weed and humor, you know, these are like pure comic book movies. It almost looks like people want the genre stuff. Like, who knew that Ant Man was going to make five hundred and twenty million dollars? Right. You know, like I never would have thought that would be possible. Paul Rudd in a movie about ants. It's like that's in which the first guy walks off the movie, and then they have to bring in another guy to finish it. Yeah. Yeah, although that was way less important than getting Adam McKay and Paul Rudd on the writing team for the movie. I think sure. that that's what turned the tide and made that movie super entertaining was getting Rudd and, and McKay. Um, and they're going to be doing the script for Ant-Man and the Wasp. But the point is, you know, I mean, Avengers Infinity War uh, and all the Justice League movies, I mean, I've heard that they Reynolds is claiming that they're already telling Fox that they don't want a big budget for the next movie. This could yeah, totally I've just be a press about that too. Yeah. Um, I think there has to be a middle ground where you can make Colossus look better and have a little bit more superhero stuff for you know eighty million dollars, say. Yeah. I mean, they made Ridley Scott made The Martian on a hundred million, so you should be mm-hmm. able to make a really badass Deadpool movie on like sixty-five, seventy, seventy-five million dollars, um, which is what the original Matrix cost uh, back in ninety-nine. So I guess that would be a lot more now. Um, but so yeah, to get it back to the question, you know, <laughs> is there is there any going back, like, from making genre-based uh, comic book films? I don't know if that yeah. was a coherent question. I, I'm not entirely sure what the question <laughs> I'm was sorry. either. When I'm, when I'm just, I'm, you know, it's like if you, fall, if you fall back on tropes of other genre, you know, it's like, you know, Winter Soldier. It's an espionage movie. Ant-Man. It's a heist movie. Guardians. It's a space opera movie that just makes fun right. of itself. Deadpool, it's just an ultra-violent, like, old-school 90s, like, way too violent and, and, and way too vulgar for no reason, but nails it kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, uh, like can, and then you just come back to regular to regular comic book movies. Maybe that's a good thing, uh, that you won't be able to separate. Uh, let me put it this way, since you, you've been sort of hinting at this, which is that it appeals to a lot of non-comic book fans and non-men, which is important, um, and there's a lot of overlap in those two categories, uh, and so is this the closest we've come to like really blurring the lines in terms of the audience's experience of it and not thinking about it as a comic book movie, even while it's blatantly a comic book movie? Sorry. Longest question ever. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Give me, let me, give me, give, give, sorry. No, no, no. Let me just give me one more try here. So we talked about whether this changes the game for comic book movies right. or, or not. You think not. I mostly agree, although I like that this is going to open up new territory for the X-Men movies. So if that's all that this signals, other than just a great effort, I would be thrilled by that. Um, But, you know, it being a rated R movie and when it was released and how it was released and, you know, what it's about compared to all the other movies in the top 12 or top 15 that we were talking about, I mean, is this replicable? You know, or is this just a perfect storm? And we're going to go back to the normal bloodless PG-13 violence. I think we are going to still see a lot of bloodless PG-13 movies. I I don't think, you know, I think Disney is looking at these products as, okay, people love Deadpool, but Deadpool is maybe going to cap out at what? If it made 700 million total, that would surprise me at this point. I think it's made most of the money it's going to make at this point. And they're thinking... You know, for us, we want to be making one and a half, two billion because that's what they produce. That's what Avengers did. It did a billion and a half. Ultron underperformed at one point two billion dollars. One point four. One point four billion dollars. You know, that's double the amount of money Deadpool made. 
So do I think Marvel or Warner Brothers is going to look at Deadpool and think we have to redo everything? No. What I do think it proved, and you kind of hinted at this uh, in terms of effort and execution, is that it's okay to sometimes try new things, that you can release a superhero movie in February, that you can release an R-rated movie, that you can release a comedy that has superheroes in it, um, and that any of those things can work when everybody is on the same page. And if there's a the biggest lesson that I hope all the major studios take from this is that the right the a good amount of effort put into getting everybody synced up, the actors, the writers, the directors, the editors, the marketers, everybody on the same page can take something really really good and make it something truly truly special and unique. Yeah. And if that's the the biggest like long-term change Deadpool does it just means we're going to be getting better quality movies, movies that better take advantage of the genre, like the, you know, the types of movies they want to be. And then we're all going to have more good movie going experiences. And I think that's something, you know, we should all want. Yep. And uh, to back up that point, I'll, I'll make one last Guardians comparison, which is that what Guardians uh, allowed Marvel Studios to do was, you know, have its own fourth wall breaking universe that's connected, but also by itself where you can really just have brand new characters and brand new stories, you know, more limitless possibilities. Um, with the Guardians, it's more limitless because it's cosmic. With the Deadpool universe, it's more limitless in terms of the material you can talk about and cover. Um, and so I think what you're going to get, you're going to get X-Men and X-Force. They may not call it that in name all the time, but I do see those two universes. There will be the PG-13 X-Men universe and the rated R X-Force or X-Factor universe, and there will be some crossover, but we're going to start seeing characters like Cable and Bishop, and we're going to see more in the future, and, uh, you know, I would love, again, to bring it back to Wolverine, I would love if, in the final Wolverine movie, that is essentially the glue movie of the two universes splitting, you know, mm-hmm. I would love for be that to be the movie where he goes from, you know, X-Men Wolverine to essentially X-Force, you know, present or future Wolverine. Um, and this movie certainly accomplished the, the early steps of that, even while not trying to apparently and not worrying about that, you know, when you can get the connective tissue with a movie like this without even trying, it's very, very impressive. And, you know, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is going to be like an EP like at, at Fox now, essentially, for, for in the X-Men line, I mean, executive producer. So, um, yeah, it's a great movie. I know we didn't talk a lot about it, but, you know, it kind of speaks for itself. Um, Matt, any, any final thoughts about the movie or the hype around the movie? Um, is you, are, you, are, are you slightly less jaded after your Deadpool experience about the uh, future of superhero movies? I don't think I was ever jaded. I, <laughs> I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm overly optimistic, so, you know. I, I'm certainly much less jaded about uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yes, that's a good place to end. Yeah, go talk about Ryan Reynolds because I, I, this came out of nowhere for me. I know this was a passion project for him, and I appreciate it just for that. But and I said earlier, I just—he was never an actor. I can't name one movie that I love that he was in. I had fun with Van Wilder. I don't think it's a very good movie, but I laughed while watching it. You know, I was nineteen in college and had a fairly juvenile sense of humor. Um, but I—that was fine. I, I had fun watching that. I think I've watched it once more on TV sure. and still laughed. Uh, yeah, but think about that. That was 15 years ago, and he's just now right. getting his huge break, which is amazing, yeah. And then he did a bunch of shitty action movies. He made Blade Three, which Blade Trinity, excuse me, which as far as I can tell, somebody said, 
okay, how about Blade fights Dracula? And then nobody put any more thought into that movie. Uh, Green Lantern, which if you read Green Lantern comics, you can spot six or seven different story arcs from the comics that they tried to shoehorn into one hour and a half movie. And I think that was one of the reasons for its undoing. And then I don't know why X-Men Origins flopped as badly as it did exactly. I can't put my finger on one thing that was writing is so bad. The writing is terrible. And the fact that they sew Deadpool's mouth shut of a character who is known as the Merc with the Mouth suggests to me that the people making the movie didn't understand their characters and source material very well. And so maybe that that's one of the biggest reasons for what doomed it. Yeah, and I think, you know... <laughs> Irregardless, I hate that word. Regardless of the fact that eighty percent of people who saw this know little to know about Deadpool or care in the comics, and that's great. That's always good news. Um, the uh, other twenty percent is very impressed with the way it translates on screen. From a physical standpoint, this is the best translation ever from page to screen I've ever seen. Um, again, I won't speak to DC stuff, but you know, no X Men has ever really tried to. And in first class, they tried to bring in the yellow and blue uniforms a little bit, but this this was on another level. Uh, it just translates so well, as is the character. Um, but I, I do think you know we we also have to keep in mind, assuming Apocalypse is good that Days of Future Past, while not flawless, with the actors and bringing uh, Brian Singer back in, have the, you know, the Fox franchise going in the right direction. And that, you know, it's nice that we can have... I mean, I know the Wolverine movie in 2013 wasn't great, but at least they were just saying, yeah, do a standalone story. It wasn't a good standalone story, but we haven't seen a single standalone story in the Marvel Universe, right? I mean, or the Marvel Studios. It's almost too much that they're all connected, you know? And that's why I said that, you know, Guardians is sort of like the outlet a little bit for um, for the Marvel Studios. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully more people will take chances on sort of standalone movies like this. Um, I'm not sure that it is going to stop at 500 million, um, but again, I'm not. I don't. I'm not on top of how the foreign distribution. I mean, you know, if this gets the one third, two third split, then you're looking at like 800 million dollars. Uh, right. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll have to check back in a couple weeks. This coming weekend, I believe, is only the third weekend. Um, it hasn't even been out two. I think it's been out 12 days or something. 12, yeah, 12 days. So, um, so as of this recording is Tuesday, February 23rd. Going to get it out at some point in the next couple of days. Um, but this movie's awesome. If you've made it to this point, and you haven't seen it. The, the, you know, it'll still be hilarious. And we didn't even try to ruin any of the jokes for you. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. You want to drop any Deadpool jokes on the Bizzlecast listeners? You had a couple great ones already, actually. Get me laughing. Yeah, I. The rhymes with Pulverine is one of my favorites. I, I uh, when they're showing how they celebrate, uh, how he and Vanessa celebrate each holiday, and so for Lent they just wink at each other, and for Thanksgiving they smear mashed potatoes on each other, and for Women's Appreciation Day she pegs him. Oh yeah, that that, that that's one of the funniest montages I can remember in quite a while. Yeah. You get a superhero taking it up the butt from his girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, no, no, can't. <laughs> I, I want to know who, uh, you know, there must have been someone high up at, at Fox who just told the, the main Fox producers and, and brass to let them do what they want with this movie and not interfere once they greenlit it. It just feels like there's so little studio uh, interruption or, or, or you know, invasion of, of this of this story of this movie. I don't know if you felt that way. Oh no, absolutely. And that again, I don't know. You know, I don't know how Fox works 
I'm assuming there is somebody connected to the film whose main job it is is to talk to the parent company and you know be the voice of the movie to the the higher ups. Just because I that's sort of how I imagine movies get made is you have you know at Marvel Studios you have the people who run Marvel Studios then you have the people running the movies. And there's got to be somebody from the movies whose main job it is is to talk to the people at the studio. So whoever it was that was the studio guy for Deadpool also was on the same page and was able to lobby Fox to kind of stay out of this one, and it would work out for the best. Yeah, it's it's Simon Kinberg. I mean, he is the he's the he's like the Kevin Feige of of uh, the X Men uh, part of Fox. Um, you know, I, I mean, he, he was the guy they had to get a hundred percent behind because mm-hmm. he's been behind all of the X-Men movies essentially. Um, you know, he's, he's just a guy and, uh, you know, they started to try and make this movie in 2000. Actually, I'm, I'm reading here, I forgot this Goyer was originally on the script like 10 years ago. David um, S. Goyer? Yeah. Oh, he would have been horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Um, and so and this, no, is, this is, I, I shudder to think how bad the script would have turned out with him. It well, would have had all those shitty monologues that I've been decrying in the, in this podcast. Right. And, and this is the classic case. And I put classic in quotes because it's not that common of a film being in production. Hell actually working towards its advantage. It, it, there's so many people tried to get their hands on this thing. And eventually everyone just, you know, went down the garbage disposal with the property as time went on you know it's like it's like a baseball player you know like a hitter's prime is like what 26 27 and then you can pretty much track the downward trend uh from there for most for most hitters in baseball well the same thing with a movie property if it goes two three four five years and no one's making it you say well there's a reason it's not getting made but ryan reynolds and his peeps were behind this the whole time and uh you know, props to Simon Kimberg and the rest of the Fox team for for recognizing that this could be this could be great. But even they were predicting in their wildest dreams an opening weekend of like sixty five to seventy million. You right. Know? I mean, they're very open that they, they did not expect to make twice uh, even the highest, most liberal predictions are putting it at I think sixty to seventy million. It ended up with one fifty plus over the four day holiday. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, big props to them on that. They finally got a solo film rights. And I find it very interesting that uh, I didn't know this at the time, but I looked it up afterwards. The director for Deadpool, Tim Miller, this was his directorial debut. He had never been a head director in anything before. And really, his filmography was almost nothing uh, prior to this. He's a visual effects guy. Yeah, he was a visual effects guy. For Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I guess. And he did some work with Thor the Dark World. And he did some uh, decent like short films, I guess at one point or another, but this was his first directing effort. And that's just a freaking amazing. And I'm assuming <laughs> it's one of the things that made the movie work. He must've had an idea in his mind, what kind of movie he wanted made and was able to convince uh, people at Fox to let him run with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you had a movie with Ryan Reynolds getting pinned in the ass by Morena Baccarat. <laughs> women's in appreciation the, day. Or women's appreciation day. And it outgrosses every single X-Men movie, both of the Thor movies, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Ant-Man, Origins Wolverine, First Avenger, all the Fantastic Four movies, all the Hulk movies, all the Wolverine movies. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> if nothing else, it's forcing the studio heads to scratch their own heads a little bit, which is always a good thing right. to get them th- thinking outside the box. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, look at, I'll just really quickly, we'll, we'll end with the slate here. Um, we've got Civil War, um, just in, I'm sorry, just in the, the Marvel films, uh, Fox, Sony, um, uh, Disney, got uh, Cap 3, X-Men Apocalypse, Gambit, Doctor Strange, and the next year Wolverine, Guardians 2, Spider-Man, Thor Ragnarok, and then 18 Black Panther, Infinity War, Ant-Man, Wasp, um, and maybe another Spider-Man movie, Captain Marvel, you know, I mean, these are all very in the traditional uh, m- model. I, 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 my first thought, also, or my second thought after Wolverine, it was that oh, a rated R Black Panther movie, but they're never going to do it because they—that's going to be a tough sell, anyways. Um, just because it's a—it's—it's it's an obscure property. I hope it's not a tough sell. It's not a tough sell for me. In my ideal world, maybe Black Panther two would be rated R, perhaps. Right. I'd also just be a little bit nervous about that, though, of depicting a movie, of taking a movie that that's going to spend a fair amount of its time in a, a Central African nation and yep. depicting it as super violent, yep. even if that's not like their intent. I think a lot of people might see it that way as trying to depict, you know, Africa as it's just, you know, warlords and violence. And so they may be trying to intentionally stay away from from giving off that that depiction I, I feel like they've even talked about that a little bit already uh the guys oh, putting yeah. that movie together that they want to depict wakanda as civilized and you know metropolitan and peaceful um as a direct counter to the way africa has been portrayed in film you know in the last 30 40 years yeah it is ultra violent in the black panther comics at times but not for the sort of tribalist stereotypical reasons that you were mentioning but that doesn't change that what you're saying is 100% correct in terms of giving off the impression black panther is a dark comic because black panther is just a dark comic book character you know he, he's not captain america and we're going to see that in the movie uh, so i told i'm i'm totally on board with you yeah selling africa as an advanced nation or as having an advanced nation uh will be enough of a of a challenge but you know i mean they managed to make they Ryan Coogler managed to make Creed feel like a rated R movie without you know needing to get an R rating for any reason. Um, just in terms totally of being an, an adult adult film, of which this is also a uh, great start to uh, to 2016 with our comic book movies. It kind of throws, and then just give your final thoughts here. This sort of throws it for a loop that this is the first one, right? Oh, very much so. Uh, that this is the one they start with. Hopefully, what it means is it's a sign of a year where there is going to be a fair amount of creativity. You know, I, I, I don't think Apocalypse or Batman v Superman is going to be super creative. I think we're going to have seen these kind of movies, but then we're going to start getting into, you know, Doctor Strange should yeah. be really, really fucking weird. If they make it right, it's going to be really, really, really weird. And I'd welcome a really, really weird superhero movie. Well, that has the best... That has the best a cast out of the gate of any superhero property ever that I can think of. It's pretty damn good. That's for sure. In terms of all the character, uh, character actors being established in Academy award winning and nominated, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you have four, um, McAdams has definitely been nominated for something before. Uh, Swinton has won. Cumberbatch was nominated and uh, edgy for was nominated. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you need that with a property that weird. And that's, that's the shoe to drop with black Panther. I'm excited about is that mm-hmm. you got Chadwick Boseman and then you got Andy circus as the bad guy. Um, but, but there's going to be one or two more major actors who may or may not be black. You know, you'd think at least one or two more of the main characters would be being, in well, we know Martin Freeman's going to be in it or, or we're pretty sure he's going to be in it. Um, right. Right. Uh, 
Um, so, uh, cool, man. Well, enjoy uh, your next couple of weeks. And uh, Bizzlecast listeners, definitely look out for the Man of Steel commentary with Matt, which is a lot of fun. Um, we, uh, <laughs> I don't know, hard to describe the Man of Steel commentary. We, we cover a lot of ground. We have a lot of time to cover a lot of ground during the movie. Um, we have a blast doing so. And then, uh, we'll have Matt back on for React to Batman v Superman. Anything else you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners? No, can't wait. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We are out.